in the house of God this morning. Amen? It's good to be in the house of God this morning. Amen? Praise God. Thank you, Matthew, Pastor Matt, for praying for our five friends focus. All of the needs. Thank you, Pastor Dennis and worship team for bringing us before the throne. Hallelujah. Bibles to Genesis chapter 29 this morning as we continue our walk through the scriptures. You likely received a program when you came in this morning inside the program, lots of announcements, about three dinners, really four meals that you may want to be aware of. There's a women's uh, get, get Connected dinner that's coming up. Uh, we have a new ministry that starts this month. It is a homeless dinner. Uh, it's on Wednesday night, the third Wednesday night of the month. Uh, so if you would like more information, we would love for you to partner with us and help us to minister to those who are in marginalized living. Uh, it's in southeast Portland off of Yamhill. We're using a church there. It's a ministry that has been an ongoing ministry of one of our family members. We're simply adopting seeing the body of Christ mature. And so would love to have you involved with that. Our Wichita Family Dinner, it's a community dinner over at Wichita Family Support Center, and uh, that's the third Friday night uh, of the month. So that third week is a busy week meal-wise. And then we have our downtown outreach where we serve minimally 100 meals on a, a monthly basis. And so I want to encourage you to be involved in those. Other announcements you can catch up with outside the program. If you didn't get a program, they're up, up there. Um, we continue in our study, and uh, we come to a portion of Scripture that's, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, Matthew referenced uh, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. In Galatians 6, 7, the Apostle Paul, writing to the churches of the providence of Galatia, he reminds us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit uh, not to be deceived. Do you realize in Scripture one of the strongest warnings we have is to not be deceived? And it's really to not be self-deceived. Uh, there's warnings about false teachers, there's warning about uh, false doctrine, and there's certainly as strong warnings about self-deception and deception and to not be deceived. And Paul here, with emphasis, says, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And then he goes on to say, if you sow to the flesh, from the flesh you will reap corruption. But if you sow to the Spirit, from the Spirit you will reap life eternal. If you sow to the flesh, from the flesh you will reap destruction or corruption. Let's not be deceived. When we, look at your husbands, look at wives, wives look at husbands, family members look at family members, brothers, sisters look at each other. Hey, listen, when we sow to the flesh, from the flesh we reap corruption. And so we're in a story historical narrative that happened with the patriarchs early on Abraham and his wife Sarah gave birth to Isaac the son of promise who married Rebecca and in due season they had twins Esau and Jacob and we are now moving into Jacob the one whom the promise is going to continue with the one who received the blessing and you know how he received that blessing right Deception, <laughs> you know, navigating those family things. Well, he sowed deception, and from that which he sows, he's going to reap. And so in this process of seeking a wife and following his mother's instruction to go to his mother's brother's house, his uncle, Uncle Laban's place, he really is going to meet his match in deception and connivory and swindling and working the system. And so we'll dive into that. But before we do, the theory of relativity. Relative is he. Okay. If you think your family has problems, raise your hand. No, don't do that. 
your family has problems, consider the marriage mayhem created when 76-year-old Bill Baker of London recently wed Edna Harvey. She happened to be, are you ready for this? She happened to be, if I lose you, raise your hand and we'll come back. She happened to be his granddaughter, husband's mother. So she happened to be his granddaughter's husband's mother. Are you with me? That's where the confusion begins. According to Baker's granddaughter, Lynn, my mother-in-law is now my step-grandmother. My grandfather is now my stepfather-in-law. My mom is my sister-in-law, and my brother is my nephew. But even crazier than that, I'm now married to my uncle, and my own children are my cousins. <laughs> mayhem. Relationship mayhem. There's probably not a person in this room that doesn't know some level of family relational mayhem, confusion, difficulty, heartache. Today's story in this history of the nation Israel and this family, the family of Abraham, the family of faith, who very shortly in a few short chapters Jacob's name will be changed to Israel, and so we are really looking at a family, and this family is becoming the birthing of a nation. And we see in the midst of the birthing of this nation some realities that can be applicable in our own lives. Today we discover a spiritual truth in the law of the harvest. A man will reap what he sows. A man will reap what he sows. For everyone here today, if you, if you leave today with one nugget of truth, walk away with this reality. I personally will reap what I sow. Like Matthew who said, if I sow zucchini, I don't want to end up with a rutabaga. My expectation is that I'll have zucchini. <laughs> Why do we always overplant zucchini? I mean... It's like the one vegetable that grows under every circumstance, right? We walk out, hey, check out my garden, man. I'm not a gardener, but woo! <laughs> we're like handing them out at church on Sunday morning. Here, I got you a zucchini. And then the other person's like, thanks, no. <laughs> Why is it that we have the hardest time growing carrots? Because carrots are so yummy, and yet we pull these things out of the ground. We're like, what happened to you? <laughs> know how to grow good carrots. Will you see me afterwards? <laughs> Genesis 29, really verses 1 through 31, kind of moralize the principle for us, brings it into focus, and brings it into a state of reality and identity for us. And we can see it in our own lives. And the idea there is if you sow to the flesh, from the flesh, you're going to reap Corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap life. And so there's a principle there for our living, and there's a principle that gets played out relation, in relationships for us. If you sow to the flesh in relationships from the flesh, you're going to receive corruption. If you say, why am I always in these contentious relationships with people? feel like Pigpen in the Phoenix, you know, Charles Schultz. There's always a swarm of dust around your life, seemingly. You're like, what's wrong? One has to wonder what you're sowing. If you're sowing contention, guess what you're going to get? Contention. If you sow peace, what will you reap? Peace. If you sow love, what will you reap? Love, principle, the principle that doesn't get violated. It's a law. It is the law of the harvest. And it's because God said so. God said so. 
what you say is what you will reap. Every one of us, we could, the sermon could stop right there. Well, don't get comfortable thinking that it's going to. But the sermon could stop right there because the Spirit of God is faithful. And right now, He's already begun revealing to hearts some areas where we've sown the wrong seed. Sown the wrong seed. And we can see the byproduct or the harvest of that wrong seed. We could grow simply by seeing that and learning from that. Every one of us could be wiser and plant better seeds. Plant better seeds. Oh, God, help us to plant better seeds. If you're a candidate for better seed in your bag so you could even begin to broadcast better seed, if you'd say, man, I just, I ended up with a lousy bag of seed, man. What's going on here? And you'd say, I'd like to exchange the bag of seed that I've been doing and get a good bag of seed that I could start planting the good stuff. If you're a candidate for that, will you just raise your hand where you're at? Well, good, for the 13 of us, we're going to have a great service this morning. (laughs) For the rest of you, we just need to learn from you, I guess. I don't know. No, we all need more and better seed. Amen? Amen, they say. Uh, I have five principles. We'll read the story. I have five principles, and I'm going to just kind of skip the stone over each one of them. I will just tell you the principle of priority, the principle of patience, the principle of purity, the principle of passage, and the principle of preeminence. We'll look at these in just a moment. So Genesis chapter 29. Let me, let me give you the story. Remember, Jacob swindled, and he took his brother's birthright, Esau. And then uh, his father, Isaac, really in a sense of disobedience to God, he says, well, I'm going to give the blessing to Esau anyway. And so he says to Esau, go out and get hunting some game, and then uh, make me some stew and uh, bring it in so that I may bless you. And his wife, Rebecca, overheard that in that thick wall tent. She's like, hey, man, what's going on here? Jacob's supposed to get the blessing. So she calls Jacob in and says, Jacob, this is what your father has done. This is what your father has said. Now here's what I want you to do. Go out and get me a couple of kids from the flock and bring them into me. I'll prepare them. And uh, you go in and present the stew to your father. Take your brother's place and receive the blessing." Incidentally, by way of just interesting observation, you and I, we also receive the blessing in the identity of the firstborn son of the father. Everybody get that? In many ways, we are, we are, we are Jacob. We are Jacob. We're deceivers, and we receive blessings in the identity that we have in the firstborn of the Father, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God for that, right? So, she, in the narrative, she sends him out, he does the deed, and puts on the skins of, you know, the goats, and goes into the Father, and the Father ultimately is deceived, thinks it's Esau, and hands off the blessing to Jacob. Then Esau comes in, and He's all frustrated because he's, there's no more blessing remaining for him. And he's like, here's Jacob. I'm going to kill him. And he even said in his own heart, when my father passes away, which father had no idea that that was still yet another 40 years. But nonetheless, Esau's like, man, when my dad dies, I'm going to kill my brother. And he's thinking that in his heart so much so that out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth actually spoke. And his mother overheard this conversation with whom he was talking. We don't even know. But she realizes, Jacob, you've got to get out of Dodge. So she calls Jacob and she says, look, you need to go, and we're going to send you to my brother's house back in Haran. So she says to Isaac, she says, oh, my heart is vexed. Gals, this is not one of those portions of Scripture that you necessarily want to glean how to manipulate the situation. <laughs> but she says, oh, my heart is vexed. These women, the, the women of Heth, oh, I can't stand that my son Jacob would have a wife from these women here. I mean, I've already got Esau, who's got a couple Canaanite w- wives, and I, my, my heart is just broken. And so she says, send him to my brother's house that he might find a wife. So Isaac agrees. And this is interesting. Isaac now blesses Jacob at that point. He blesses Jacob. Knowing it's Jacob, he blesses him. So it's almost like 
Isaac realizes God's providence and God's will, and so he sends him with blessings. That's interesting. He submits to the will and to the word of God. There's wisdom for you and I in that, isn't there? Wouldn't it be good for all of us to glean, to submit to the word of God in our lives? Can I get an amen? That's a little side note. Okay, there's a sermon in there at least nine or twelve. Okay. So she sends him away. Now, you know the story, and we looked at it last week. While he was in his journey, he has this experience in an arid place, and he has an encounter with God. And in all reality, it's in this encounter with God that we would typify that. We'd look in our own lives that that's like when you and I became born again, when we had an experience with God. And we notice that because immediately he gets up in the morning and he worships the Lord. He sands a stone on him, pours some oil over it, and he worships God. And in his wealth, he's transformed. He's gone from Jacob, the supplanter, to now this guy who seems to be born again. He's worshiping God. He takes his wealth and he says, since you're God, I'm going to do this with everything I own. I'm going to give you 10%. Very different than how he had been living. And the next thing we see, as we come into 29, it says, so Jacob went on his journey. And that very statement, Jacob went on his journey, it actually says he went on his walk or he went out. The literal translation means that Jacob now was lifting his feet as he was walking. He's got like a dance in his step. And I would say to you, well, he's not prancing. He's actually, he's dancing. He, it's like he's now, his life has purpose. He's now a worshiper of God. He's now recognizing his own possessions are not his. It all belongs to God, and I'm going to give God what belongs to him. And he's got a dance in his step. He's moving with intention. And, and It's at this point, he's probably 75 years old, and so he's probably ready to get married. Can I get an amen? (laughs) He's like, woo-hoo. Now, people live longer early on. The early patriarchs lived longer. So you can assume if he's 75, to us, he's probably like 35, right? But at 35 years old, all the married guys are like, yeah, he's ready to get married. And this cat's ready to get married. So he's now, he's going with intent, he's going with purpose. And he's, he's arriving, and as he gets there, he comes to a well, and here's some young shepherd guys, just some young boys. And they brought the sheep, and it's noon. And he's, he's like, why are we here? Well, first he says, greetings. He says, do you know Laban? And they say, well, we know Laban. Is Laban well? Yes, Laban is well. Then he says, and, th- and they said, well, hey, and here comes Rachel's, d- or here comes Laban, comes Laban's daughter, Rachel. You can imagine this, he's looking for a wife and he looks up and he sees this female who's the daughter of Laban, the right family whom his mom sent him to go get a wife and he sees her and the Bible describes her as beautiful in form and fashion. She basically, she looks cute and she walks cute. <laughs> and so here's this guy, he's like, wow. <laughs> he's like, right on. But he had asked the guys, like, why haven't you watered your sheep yet? You almost get the impression, like, he's like, hey, go water your sheep and get lost, because here comes my potential bride. I'd like a little privacy here. And they're like, well, there's a rock over the well, and we can't water any of the sheep until all the shepherds come in with their flocks, and then we all move the rock together. And so then you see, he sees Rachel, he sees her bringing the sheep, he's like, no, 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 no. He's like, he walks right over to the rock and he's all, watch this, as he's flexing his arm, you know, and he's, and he moves the rock by himself. And then he gets some water and he waters her sheep. And then he kisses her. Now this is a typical greeting, but it's a greeting of people that know each other and that would be intimate. And not that, I mean, it's a family greeting but it's an intimate greeting. So she's probably like, whoa, what, kind, what manner of greeting is this? And then he weeps and says, I'm your aunt's son. And she gets it. She's probably heard of Rebecca. Now, she's never known Rebecca because it's been a lot of years. And she was not even born yet when Rebecca left. And so 
She's hurt, and so she takes off running and goes home. And so we pick up in verse 9. Now he was still speaking with them. Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass, Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, and that Jacob went over and rolled the stone of the well's mouth and watered the flocks of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her father. Then it came to pass, verse 13, when uh, Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him into his house. So he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are bone of my bone and my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. Verse 15, Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what should your wages be. So Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now, eyes being delicate, just look this way for a minute. It doesn't, commentaries will say, well, you know, it meant that she was not, you know, she was not very easy on the eyes. That, that, that's, that's conjecture. Uh, it's very probable that she had blue eyes and not dark brown eyes at this time because her eyes were delicate with needles. So we don't really know all of that. Uh, but at the end of it, it says that uh, Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now, Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your daughter, your younger daughter. Now, you can imagine for her, this was his way, by the way, this was his way of paying a dowry. And I won't, I won't take time this morning to go into the whole explanation of what that looks like. But he's saying, she is of great value to me. And this is a true story of, like, love at first sight. This is, I mean, it's a beautiful picture of this mother here. Uh, so he says, I'll work seven years for your younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. There's wisdom in that, and there's principle here, and we'll pick up on that in just a moment. Uh, then Jacob said, oh, let's see, Jacob served seven years, and it seemed only a few days. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. And Laban gave his maid, Zilpah, to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Why is it not for, or uh, was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? Ah, the deceiver gets deception. He reaps what he sows. See? Consequence, if you will, this text. And we'll, we'll pick up on that in a minute. And it says, And Laban said, It must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill your weeks, and we will give you this one also, for the service which you will serve with me still yet another seven years. Then Jacob did so and fulfilled his weeks, so he gave him uh, his daughter Rachel as wife also. And Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. Then Jacob also went into Rachel, now listen, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still yet another seven years. Verse 31, and we'll end. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, I think it's the King James that says that uh, she was hated, uh, he opened her womb that Rachel was barren. A sordid story. A sordid story. But the deceiver reaps his own crop of deception, and he's met his match in Laban. Laban, you remember from our previous sermon, if you were with us, that Laban really represents the world. And from the world, we ought not think that we're going to receive anything but corruption. And so Laban, he gives him, and he does, Laban does what Laban wants to do. And so he gives Leah. Now, just so you know, in that scenario, it's nighttime. It's not like they can just flip switches and have lights turned on. It's in a tent, and he's going into the wedding chamber, and the female is covered with veils. So he can't see. He has no idea. You imagine, I mean, imagine, this is convoluted. This is a sordid story. 
imagine how angry Jacob would be in the morning? Morning, sweetheart. Oh! Who are you? I mean, his heart must have dropped. That would be so devastating. Devastating. He's waited 75 years. Contextually related to the law of the harvest. The first one is the principle of priority. Now, let's just think this way. First things first, and I'm going to I'm going to kind of I'm going to rip through these. Uh, so please uh, take note. The principle of priority. First things first. God has a design and family. God has a design and family. I want to say some things to the young people in relationship to family too, and I want to say something to all of us. But. Uh, both Jacob and Rachel lived with their parents and learned from their parents. It's God's design. They lived with their parents and they learned from their parents. And uh, neither of them were in a hurry to get out of the house. Our culture pushes young people out of Dodge too fast. And they're not ready and prepared. thinking I was responsible. No way, Jose. <laughs> no way. I mean, I did it. But I remember when I met Kim finally, mom mom was probably like, yeah, this I don't know about this guy. <laughs> but when I met Kim, I'm like, yeah, I'm responsible. And, you know, we dated well. We courted. We honored the Lord in all those areas of purity and all that. And we, for two years and seven months. But I remember when God finally spoke to me and said, yes, you can ask her for her hand in marriage. I was like, yeah. And I mean, I couldn't even wait. I, well, I waited until she took a bite of pizza. And then I got down, you know, and said, hey, will you marry me? And she's like, are you serious? <laughs> I'm like, yes. And uh, I remember I went to Montana for a wedding. And it was a family wedding. And I was going to spill the beans on my mom that, hey, I asked him to be my wife. And uh, we're getting married. Surprise! And my mom, I mean, she was, it was not the reaction I was expecting. And she's like, what? I said, yeah, we're getting married. It's so epic. And thus the term began. <laughs> and my mom, she's like, you can't marry Kim. She says, you're not good enough for her. <laughs> She's like, hit it out of the park. I'm going to take your feet out from underneath you. And I'm like, what are you talking? She says, you're not responsible. She said, you can't take care of yourself. How are you going to take another human being on, let alone Kim, this marvelous young woman, into this havoc of a scenario? It's not happening. I thought I was responsible. The good news is, my mom came around, and I grew up a little bit. <laughs> Kim's still helping raise me. <laughs> Here's the thing. We push people out of homes too fast. Don't be in a hurry to get out of the house. Because God's got a design. And we learn relationship things in healthy homes. And I want to say healthy, and I want to say Christian homes are the best. We can learn proper relationships. Number one, we can learn how not to deceive one another. Right? I would just tell you, in America, dating sets everybody up for absolute deception. Move away from the house and go out on a little date so you can pretend to be whatever you want to be to win someone's heart. And over time, what's real is going to come out. And if they're not commiserable, they're going to hurt. Does that make sense? 
But if you do your courtship around your family, brothers and sisters will call you out if you start acting differently. Like if, you know, she's walking around just being all kind and stuff, you know, the brothers are going to go like, what's wrong with you? And the guy is going to go, is this not normal behavior? And the brothers are going to be like, no. She never acts like this. She's never kind. You should see her bathroom. <laughs> They'll tell the truth. Hey, no, listen, girls, you're not off the, I mean, boys, you're not off the hook, right? I mean, your sisters, if you're, like, you know, acting all macho and cool and doing your thing, and your sisters see there and be like, what are you doing? And she goes, this is not how he always is. <laughs> and the sisters are all, mm, duh. <laughs> no, and, but the idea there is, no, you can't fake it. Because you have family that will bring it into real. So there's no deception. You get that? That's important. Moms and dads, make your home the hub where they can see healthy relationships. And if your relationship isn't healthy, pay attention to the Word of God. I mean, that's big. That's big. Okay? So that's just a couple thoughts real quick. Discover relationships in a home. Again, if brothers and sisters, here's wisdom. Young ladies, listen, all young ladies and all ladies. How a boy treats his sister and his mother is how a boy will treat you. If the brother doesn't get the door for his sister, girls, ask why. Why don't you do that? I notice you don't ever get the door for your sister. Why don't you do that? Listen to the answer carefully. Because that's how he'll view you. Boys, how a girl treats her brother and her father is how she'll treat you. We learn relational things in our home. So there's wisdom for brothers and sisters. Right there. Young people, pay attention. Treat one another with love and respect in the home so you learn. Dads, treat your children with respect. Dads should be teaching their daughters how a young man should treat his own daughter. Dads, are you listening to me? How about you start getting the door for your daughters and your wives? How about you start treating them with proper respect and dignity? So that the daughter, when the dude shows up and he's a dud, she's like, I will not give you the time of day. My dad has taught me what love and respect is. Are you with me? Everybody learn a little family relationship? We may only get to one point today. <laughs> I said I wasn't going to elaborate on these, and I'm elaborating. So maybe there's a five-point sermon. No, a five-series sermon. <laughs> In relationships, again, you reap what you sow. Sow the right stuff on the home front. And reap the good stuff on the home front so you can learn what to look for in a lasting marriage relationship. That's what Jacob and Rachel were at home, and they were serving their mom and dad. Can I get an amen, church? They were serving mom and dad. They weren't even looking for allowance. Thank you. Those are all such significant pieces. Listen, in the home, we discover really relational elements, loving others, serving others, kind of others first. Do you see what Jesus teaches here? Others first, consider others over yourself. Uh, aspects of relationships, support, what it means to sacrifice, how to overcome conflict healthy. Anybody here say, I've been exposed to unhealthy conflict resolution? Raise your hand. Do we need more of that in Christian families and marriages? Absolutely not. What we need is healthy resolution. The Jesus stuff, right? We need some more Jesus stuff. Husbands and wives, if you continually are arguing and it's about winning, it's not about oneness. There's a problem. Problem might be with you. It could be selfishness, right, Kate? And by the way, we're only going to cover this one point this morning. 
I can see. Principle of priority. And we'll come back. We'll come back to these other four. That'll be next week's sermon. We'll start one next next week too. Priority. Who set the priority? That's God. God's design was family. His design. Healthy relationships can be gleaned in and through healthy Christian family. Don't be in a hurry to move out. But your house would be the hub is a good thing. Moms and dads, don't be afraid. First of all, moms and dads, little nutshell, and we're going to come to the communion table and and we're going to be done this morning. Moms and dads, if your home is not healthy, you already know it. You already know it. The Bible says, as much as depends upon you, live peaceably among one another. As much as depends upon whom? Maybe you'll just take your index finger from your left hand and point it right at your own self and say, me, me. It starts with me. You can draw a little circle around you and say, where does it start? It starts with me. And it starts with the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life as a Christ follower. Are you submitting to the Lord? If you're not submitting to the Lord, you're, you're going to discover that your love is askew when it comes to your spouse. Because you've not learned love well. And that matters. So every person, if you're here today and you already know relationally something isn't right, look inward. What is it that God the Spirit wants to do in you? He'd like to begin today. Why? Well, because he'd like to see transformation in you. Why? So he can say, ooh, look at me, or ooh, I'm making this person a better person and get some accolade from it. No, he doesn't even need us. He's doing it, he'd like to do it in and through us so that our lives can be better. It's not a, God isn't up in heaven with this massive ego just saying, what's wrong with these people? If they could just figure it out, they'd give me more glory. God does not need us. He does not need that. His desire is to give that. He'd like to see us healthily related because he wants to bless us more. And he knows when we are, he can do that. Thanks be to God. Why don't we surrender? So if you already know some things that you could do to make your home healthier, men, lead. Simply do it. Men, look this way. Lead in your home. Lead in your marriages. Lead. Lead. It's a God-given responsibility to lead. Make the change today. Today. Seal it at the communion table. God, with your help, I will change. And whatever that thing is, through him. Yes, I hear you. I hear the question. Ladies, as much as depended upon you, respond in obedience to the Holy Spirit and simply say yes and change and watch your marriage become stronger. What if you confess to each other? (laughs) You could see radical transformation. I mean, sometimes guys, they know I'm supposed to do this. But if I tell her, then I'm going to have to. You guys could be lazy. Oh, Jesus said for the prize that was, where the scripture tells us that Jesus for the prize that was before him, he endured the cross. You know, you know Satan offered it to him right here. He says, hey, all this is yours if you'll just bow down and worship me. And he wasn't like, if you're the son of God, like, I don't know if you are. He said, no, since you're the son of God, you can have all this now. Just bow down and worship me. You don't have to go through this three years of rejection and the brutality and the crucifixion and the shedding of your blood and then, you know, waiting, waiting, and waiting 
some 2,000 plus years for the kingdom of God. Endure. You don't have to endure the tribulation that's forthcoming, the wrath that's going to be poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. You don't have to wait through the millennial period. You can have it now. For the joy that was set before him, he endured. Let's see the joy and let's endure the change internally in us. Let's not say, man, I'm just going to take the cheeseburger from McDonald's versus the marinated brisket that's slow cooked and it's been marinating for 24 hours and that marinade just sucking up all that flavor and then it's been slow cooking on that roaster and smoker for hours and you know 12 hours later you go out there and it's got that bark on it that just make everything inside your tongue do a tango dance or something I don't know you're like wow that's cool hey let's do that to start making the change to receive the marinated return does that make sense no counterfeit, no substitute. Okay, next week, part two. The other full point. Uh, those who are going to serve communion, will you, will you make your way here to the front? Just a few more minutes. You already know some things. Your husband and wife, and young people, you heard the message there too, right? I mean, there's, you glean relationally. Listen, if you've got a terrible relationship with your siblings, you, as much as it's responsible on your shoulders, you make some change. And don't come up with some excuse that like, well, I'm, I'm going to wait for them to move. After all, it's better to receive than give. Well, that's nowhere in the scripture. <laughs> it's better to give than to receive. Listen, if you come to the altar and have a gift, and want to present your gift, and there you recall your brother has ought against you, what does Jesus say? I'll just offer your worship there and go on home. No, he doesn't say that. He says, leave your gift, go to your brother, be reconciled to him, then come and present your gift at the altar. He puts the onus on, it's not even my fault. It's not my deal. It's their deal. Yes. Good. Now go make it right. Well, that's, that's not fair. Yes, it is. It's others first. The kingdom of God is different. The kingdom of God works different than what we think. What's natural? Natural. Kingdom is different. Thank you, Brother Jim. This is our opportunity. I invite you to stand with me this morning. The communion table is a place it's like an altar experience where we can come and we can just simply solidify things in our own hearts and our own minds. The Bible instructs us not to come to the communion table in an unworthy manner, but really to take spiritual stock where am I. And if the Spirit of God is prompting you, you know there's some change. Let the Word of God transform you. Let the Word of God transform you. And let that work, the washing of the water of the Word, to cleanse the way we even think relationally. That we would begin to think relationally the way... God has even shown in this scenario, in this historical narrative, you reap what you sow. It's what you put in. Listen, if you're putting in those good things, good things are going to come. And you need to say, God, I need your help. Because in, in and of myself, I don't have good things even to put into a relationship, let alone a marriage. And I need the work of God in me, transforming me from the inside out. That's the simplicity of the altar today. We serve an open communion. We invite everyone to partake if you're a believer in Jesus. If today you've not made Jesus the Lord of your life and you're still navigating that, we would invite you today to invite Christ to be the Lord of your life, to be your Savior. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Today, by partaking of communion, perhaps for the very first time, perhaps for the very first time with knowledge and understanding, that by partaking of this, you are saying, I am a willful participant in the new covenant, the shed blood of Jesus Christ made atonement, a covering for all of my sin, past, present, and future. You say, I want the forgiveness of God. 
by receiving, you would be making a public testimony, and we would invite you to do so. We'd also encourage you, if that's where you are today and you want to be born again, that you would tell someone, I'm receiving communion today for the first time because I put my faith in Jesus today. And we get to celebrate with you, and we say yes and amen. For all believers who are here, as we come forward to receive these, we invite you to hold the emblems, making your way back to your seat. Then once every, then once every person has been served, we'll simply pray. And during that time as we're waiting, will you take spiritual stock of where you are? Will you listen to the Spirit of God in those relationships? Maybe it's a husband-wife. Maybe it's a father-son. Maybe it's a mom and a daughter. Maybe it's a father-daughter or a mom and a son. Maybe it's a grandparent. Maybe it's an aunt or an uncle. Whatever that relationship convoluted piece looks like, it is relative and it does matter. God wants to fix Will you cooperate with the Spirit and simply speak to Him during that time, that quiet moment? I'm going to invite you at this time to just make your way to these center aisles here, the center aisles. Come and we'll receive these emblems and then carry them back to your seats through the outside aisles. And in just a few moments, we'll partake and receive them together. Come forward.
that's a good problem. We ran out of communion stuff that was prepared. I don't know if that's a good problem, but we have some that are here. So if you didn't get the cup or the juice or the or the bread or the juice, please come and we'll make sure you have one of those. Thank you, Pastor Dennis. Give a moment. Are there any others who didn't get served? We want to make sure that everybody has something. Thank you, men. Thank you, Charlie and Linda. On the same night in which Jesus was betrayed, it is Passover in Jerusalem. On the Jewish calendar, the spring festival begins with Passover, a time of remembrance for the children of Israel. They have what's known as the Seder meal. And they literally prepare the same meal the same way as the children of Israel did in Egypt on the night that they were released from Pharaoh after the tenth plague. It's a meal that is made with haste, but it is a meal commemorating, yes, God's deliverance, God's redemption of his people out of the bondage of sin, breaking them free from their hardship and their labor of bondage. But it also is a type and a shadow of God's permanent redemption work. And on the night of his betrayal, he took the bread and broke the bread and gave thanks. And he said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we have in our hands what is known as matzah bread. It has no leaven in it. The spring festival has three feasts. It's the feast of Passover. It's the feast of unleavened bread. And it is the feast of first fruits. You'll see in the calendar year this year, near Easter, as we'll make mention of each of those feasts, they're represented by the very emblems that we hold. And Jesus fulfilled each of those feasts. He is the Passover lamb, John the Baptist. Behold, the lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. He is without leaven. Leaven in Scripture is a type of sin. He was without spot or blemish. There was no sin found in him. The Scripture tells us that God made him who knew no sin to become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful picture. So the bread without leaven, Christ, the bread of life without sin, the bread that came down from heaven, it's pierced. The prophet Zechariah says, they will look upon the one whom they have pierced. Every year, Orthodox Jews take matzah bread and break the bread in the midst of the meal. The host breaks the bread, and he hides a piece of the bread for the kids later to go search for. But they partake of that bread. Every year, Orthodox Jews look in type upon the one whom they have pierced, Jesus Christ. It's also scores. There are stripes going vertically, and there are stripes going horizontally. Isaiah the prophet reminds us we are, it is by his stripes we are healed. By his stripes we are healed. He was flogged. He was scourged for us. Thanks be to God. Father, today as we hold this matzah bread, it is a picture, it is a type, it is a, it's allegorical, it's metaphorical, it reminds us, you are the bread of life, you're the one who has come down from heaven, the one who was pierced one who was scourged by your stripes, we are healed. We simply say thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you were willing for the joy that was set before you. You endured the cross. We give you thanks. You are our Savior. Let's partake of the bread together this morning. On the same night, 
The Scripture says, after supper, Jesus took the cup. You see, on the Seder table, there is a common cup. It's a chalice, if you will, and it has wine in it. And there are four times that that chalice will be passed around the table and partaken. And each time, it is a representation of something that God did. It's a remembrance. When they read the Haggadah and they tell the stories of the deliverance of the children of Israel, all the way from the ten plagues through the crossing of the Red Sea, and all that God did. And it's the third cup, the cup after supper, that is known as the cup of redemption. Redemption was paid for by the blood of the Lamb as they took the hyssop branch and put it on the lentils and the doorposts of every house so that the death angel would pass over. And they were redeemed by the blood, if you will, of that innocent lamb that was slain. And Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took them and said, This cup, redemption, is no longer in the blood of bulls and of rams and of lambs, but it is in the shed blood of the Son of God, the shed blood, the Lamb of God, which was slain before the foundations of the earth. This cup is redemption in Christ and in Christ alone. And by partaking of this cup today, we are declaring not only from ourselves to the Father, to Jesus and the Spirit, but we are proclaiming it to every person in this room. I am a willing participant in the new covenant of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It's a public declaration. I'm born again. My sin is forgiven. It's atoned for. It's covered through the work that Jesus accomplished upon the cross at Calvary some 2,000 years ago. And if today is your first day partaking, we welcome you to the family of God who prays. Thanks be to God for your faith. To all believers, I invite you to stand with me this morning as we hold these cups. Will you pray with me? Father, today we give you thanks for your great plan of salvation. For it's been your plan since the beginning, the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundations of the earth. That you would provide atonement even as... Abraham took the son up on Mount Moriah to offer him before you as instructed. Abraham made that declaration to his son when Isaac said, we have the fire, we have the wood, but where is the sacrifice? Abraham responded, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And God, you did that. You became flesh, and you dwelt among us sinless. And you provided yourself a sacrifice. You hung upon the cross at Calvary, shedding your own blood, that we might have atonement for our sins in the new covenant of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We give you thanks, Father. We give you thanks, Father. We give you thanks, Jesus Christ, for your obedience to the point of death, even death upon the cross. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for the grave had no hold on our Savior. And the Scripture says, the Spirit of Him who raised Christ from the dead, Spirit of God, three days later, you rose Christ from the dead, because death had no hold. There was no sin. And He who descended and proclaimed victory also ascended and gave gifts to men. Lord, we look forward to your return, and we give you thanks today. Let's partake of the cup together as we declare to all that we are recipients and participants. Hallelujah. 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 I trust you've made covenant and commitment with the Father that today you're going to seek to be different relationally, that you're going to allow the Spirit of God to work in your relationships in a greater measure. Maybe you've been doing a good job. Now you just say, I want to do a better job. With the help of the Spirit of God, with the help of my submission to the Word of God, that will happen for each of us. That can be our testimony, and that can be the testimony of the families of God in the church. Amen? Amen. Pastor Dennis, lead us one more time through the chorus, and we'll be dismissed.
thank you, Father, that you have raised the broken to life. New relationships, new relationships in you today as we go. We ask this in your son's name. Amen and amen. Have a wonderful afternoon.